Greetings, fine gentlemen. A marvelous Tuesday to you. The sun is shining. However, it is a very cold African winter outside, about 45 degrees. It's enough to make it's enough to make little African boys shiver and wear multiple layers of clothes. Praise God. Scotch Cuban, welcome, fine sir. The chat in the beer chat has been amazing. Thank you. Well, thank you, fine sir. I myself am just drinking a quiet beer in the corner, overhearing some really fun conversations. You know that guy who sits at the corner of the bar, not like in the middle of all the guys having very erudite chats and the like. No one thinks he's listening, but he's listening. It's been very, very encouraging. Drongo, good evening, fine sir. So, uh, chaps, find find the Telegram. Uh, the public channel is Courage My Lads Beer Hall. And then um, if you guys want to be added to the private chat, the pub, um, send me a, a message on Telegram or on Instagram or on Gab, and I will add you to the group. Praise God. Primitive Pioneer, welcome, fine sir. Good to have you on. Well, gentlemen, I uh, could have gone on for a good two hours yesterday. So I think we'll we'll carry on where we left off with our, our marvelous content creation that is interacting with liberals on twitter.com. Uh, first of all, a uh, you know, I, I'm not I'm not uh, big on Elon being our cultural uh, savior. I I am very much a Luddite and um, there's actually an even stronger word. What, what are the ones who want to actually destroy technology? There's a word for them. Anyway, I disagree um, vehemently uh, with technological supremacism. Um, I'm okay with automation. I'm okay with technology. I'm okay with tools. Um, when it is things that endanger human life or whatever, you know, wonderful, wonderful advances in technology. But it's when it replaces human life that it's a problem. When it replaces human experience, when it replaces human connection, uh, when it replaces human meaning, um, there's a huge problem there. And so the the other big kind of difference is, is the whole, uh, you know, Elon's big project is SpaceX. My big project is EarthX. There is no escape, gentlemen. There is no escape. We must endeavor to build our way through on this earth. This is the dominion we have been given. So there are a lot of things that we we differ on. Um, he's not right wing. He's not he's not gonna uh, he's not gonna save the culture or anything like that. However, what I am excited about um, is that he is a contrarian and he will do things to spite the culture. It might not be in our direction, but you take you take your enemy, uh, you know, you take what you can. If, if someone else wants to spite your enemy, then oh, by all means, be my guest. So in that essence, uh, uh, Mr. Musk, uh, from one African-American to another, uh, go, go at it, go after it. I think what's going to be really funny is if this whole thing on bot, uh, bot limitation or bot whatever, like how do you get rid of Twitter bots? 
you're going to see all of these news organizations, all of these journalists, all of these academics, all of these media talking heads and whatever with like a hundred thousand followers or a million followers, you know, go down. I've, I've long said this. If you have dissident opinions, your followers, you have the equivalent of someone who has mainstream opinions, probably 10 to a hundred X um, influence, 10 to hundred X follower count, you know? So if you have 500 followers on Twitter, you are the equivalent and you are a dissident, cultural dissident. You are the equivalent of some mainstream normie who has 5,000 uh, to 50,000 followers because I think they all have bots. They have this manufactured uh, consent, this manufactured popularity. And so that'll be fun to see the bubble popped. Drongo, technology is hostile. It must be slapped around. Otherwise, it misbehaves. That's right. We must rule it. We must master it. It must not replace or master us. There's a great, I don't know who said it. I don't think it was Wendell Berry, but it might have been some agrarian author. Uh, but the quote, uh, Wardrobe, you may have quoted this on one of your um, one of your quote photos that you uh, so elegantly make. It was tools, not machinery, or something to that effect. Who was it? Was it C.S. Lewis? Anyway, this erudite old dead guy, old white dead guy, uh, basically makes the point that a tool is something that a human has to use and it's something that that increases, that that um, amplifies a human action. A machine is something that replaces a human ac action. It's all very interesting. All very interesting. Copastar, I saw someone say it best. I prefer someone akin to Conan the Barbarian. But Elon will do. That's right. We we take whatever little little gaps we 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 build where there is opportunity. You know, not saying he's our guy. It's it's like the Donald. You know, the Donald wasn't our guy, but he he was incredibly useful. He he created space. He created problems for the people who are creating problems for us. And so you you capitalize upon that. The wardrobe, sounds familiar? Like something Weaver would say. Weaver, sounds very high IQ. So, praise God. Anyway, so, so that's all the Twitter stuff. And now getting back to all of the uh, action that we had on Twitter. Um, one of the ad hominems always thrown um, at us who dare uh, to question the the liberal idol, the liberal religion of forced diversity. One of the ad hominems, an ad hominem is an attack on your motives, your morality, your qualifications in order to, in order to disqualify you and thereby win the argument rather than arguing the point, arguing the, the actual topic. So for instance, and, and this happens so much with, with churchy type people, with priestly boys, when there's purity spiraling, purity spiraling, it's, well, are you qualified? Are you moral? Because if you're not, I refuse to answer uh, your idea or your, your argumentation. And it's lazy of 
the topic or the idea or the problem uh, because you can make it go away by just attacking the message bearer. You know, it doesn't matter how how humble and base uh, the message bearer. You know, I am but a donkey uh, for this idea. And it's like, yeah, you don't need, it doesn't matter what what brings the message in. It's the message. The message is the the issue at hand here, the idea. So one of the ad hominems that are used is to disqualify people who talk about race, who talk about uh, the problems around forced diversity, who talk about uh, boundary setting between tribes, who talk about pursuing interests for their people. One of the ad hominems that will come against you, one of the slurs, obviously racist, number one, is, is the biggest ad hominem and slur. But but further into that, beyond that, people will will say, you hate non-white people, or you hate the other people group, or why do you hate the BIPOC? You know, how dare you? You hate, you hate, hate, hate. And it's not just a slur to get us to stop. You know, it obviously works. That's why they they carry on using it. Or, or put it this way, it has worked on the majority of people it's used on. Is why do you hate other people groups? Why do you hate the non-whites? And people are like, I don't hate them. I, 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 I'm not racist. Or, you know, it derails them. It's like, I do hate them. And then now you're talking about whether you hate people or not rather than the idea. You know, keep the idea as the central point. Because for some people, there, there will be grievance. Legitimately, there will be legitimate grievances. You know, it's like having it's like having a woman who's abused. And when she comes to file a police report and say, I was hit or I was beaten, I was abused. And then the policeman saying to her, why do you hate your husband? Why do you hate your abuser? And it's like, of course I hate him. He beats me and he calls me names and all this kind of stuff. That's okay. It's okay. It's okay if people have grievances. You know, we're not we're not out here expecting people who are not Christians uh, to not have grievances. And even as Christians, we have to constantly take our grievances to the Lord. You know, a lot of people would would look at me and be, a lot of liberals would look at me and be like, you hate them. You have grievances. You have animus, all this kind of stuff. That's fine. You know, they don't know me. But a lot of people who do know me would say, oh, yeah, Scott has no grievances toward blacks. He has no grievances toward, uh, name your other ethnicity. Um, but of course, of course, I've had grievances in my past. You know, of course, I've, you know, if I had to name all the things um, that other ethnic groups have done to me, have done to my family, have done to to my people, to my tribe, to my place, there would be, there would be a legitimate case for grievance, a legitimate case for hatred, for anger, all of this kind of stuff. Now, the fact that I am a Christian and I trust the Lord, I take that grievance and I lay it at the feet of the Lord. He will take my burdens because he cares for me. He will vindicate me. Dio vindici. The Lord will vindicate me. Only if I give him the full right to vindication and I don't reach with my own hand. I don't kill Saul with my own hand. I don't grab the apple with my own hand. But I trust the Lord uh, to take me in to peace, to take me uh, into vindication and justification before other people groups who may be hostile. Now, this is where a lot of guys get very confused with me. And they're like, but Scott, if you don't take vengeance, if you don't hate them back, you know, how will you stop being abused? And I was like, 
and I put up boundaries, which is why both sides have issues. Liberals have issues when I put up boundaries, when I say, no, I will not relax when I go into this ethnicity's area. No, I will not leave my doors unlocked at night. No, I will not uh, deal with this certain ethnic group or with this uh, whatever. They absolutely lose their minds because it is in it is inseparable to them uh, from hatred. It's like taking that that beaten wife and saying, "But if you don't if you don't let your abusive spouse have full access to your life, then you hate him." And it's like, no, no, no. Uh, I won't. I've got a restraining order against him. Um, I won't be in the same room with him. I won't have anything to do with him. I won't interact with him. Uh, I will remove myself from everywhere that he is, that is a public space. And if he comes onto my property, I will call the police that he may be removed and restrained. That's not hateful. That's putting up boundaries. At the same time, as a Christian, that wife is not to now take into her own hands vengeance. She's not to now go and put arsenic in that man's food and to now go and key that guy's car at midnight outside of his house and go and... Uh, uh, ruin his name and slander his name to to anyone who well, it wouldn't be slander it would be true but but to go and uh, maliciously go and attack this man as a Christian we say no like give that bitterness and that hatred and that grievance unto the Lord it's not a sin to feel all of these things it's a sin to act on them so it's not a it's not a sin to feel hatred or feel uh, anger or feel hurt and grieved and all this stuff. What do you do with it? Lord, I, I give vindication to you. I will not take vengeance into my own, my own hand. I give vengeance unto you. At the same time, I thank you for the wisdom and the power to put up boundaries. And I want my boundaries respected. I want my boundaries reciprocated. And so th there's two sides to this, this idea of of the ad hominem of you hate people you can you can you can uh validate their premise and start arguing about whether you hate people or not which i have done because i i've found it it is useful it is useful to try and win over people who are watching who are kind of middle ground who who don't want to be um who don't want to be condemned for something they are not, for painted what they are not, you know, because there are a lot of people who don't have hatred in their heart. I, I do not have hatred in my heart to any other group. I've dealt with that. Now, if I want to, I could stir up hatred. There, there is more than enough grievance for me to go back and unpack, but, but I have forgiven, you know. The new F word in the church is forgive. Now, once you have forgiven, I, I hope you guys have all seen that. It was like years ago, man. Some black church, this guy's, this guy's preaching. It's phenomenal. But he's like, the new F word in the church today, brothers and sisters, is forgive. <laughs> now turn to your brother and say F you. <laughs> Text your ex and say, I'm in church. F you. Forgive. <laughs> and it's like, it's great. It's such a great, it's a great meme. It's a great, uh, you know, humor gets to the bottom of things. But it's like, when you want to say to people like F you, the first thing is in your heart, forgive, forgive. Because if you cannot forgive others, how can your father in heaven forgive you? So number one, forgive. Number two, 
it's okay to have a grievance and want vengeance. You know, Saul chasing David around the desert. Uh, what a grievance, you know, what a rejection, what an absolute dick move. Of course, David had right to be angry, right to feel betrayed, right to have um, disappointment and frustration and and uh, hatred in his heart. But then when Saul comes in to crap in his cave and unknowingly puts himself at the mercy of David, you know, the journalist comes in and says, now here's your chance, David. Reach with your own hand and take for yourself the crown. You know, settle the score. Take vengeance. And so for us as Christians, we're like, no, no, no. Like God will take me in. You know, God will take me into my promised land. God will take me in uh, to my tribal promised land. God will take me into my local promised land. God will take me into my patriarchal family promised land. I will not take vengeance. I will not store up hatred in my heart for legitimate grievances. Chaps, in your marriages, there will be legitimate grievances with your spouse and vice versa. You cannot store up hatred and anger and grievance in your heart, even when it's legitimate. You can put up boundaries to it. You can address it. You can be honest and direct with it, which is which is highly recommended, which is why all the libs freak out when we start addressing tribal grievances, tribal boundaries, tribal disrespects and issues that need to be addressed. But it's not out of hatred. It's not out of grievance. It's not out of um, anger. It's out of a place of honor and respect. You know, It's out of a place of we have to live peacefully together on this earth. You know, someone in the group chat rightly said, you know, we were chatting about uh, the differences between evangelism, colonialism, and what was the third option? Oh, and absolute um, isolationism. So for instance, now that the Chinese have been evangelized, they have their own Christian patriarchs now, we can now leave them in isolation. The gospel has been preached to that nation. Now their patriarchs can go and disciple their nation. However, someone brought up a really great point, is that what happens when China pollutes all of the ocean and fishes out all of the ocean and pollutes all the air? And do we have, do we have the right to go and colonialize them, to force them to civilize, to force them uh, to live out a Christian way that doesn't harm the earth and harm their neighbor? These are all, these are all the big questions of life. You know, and of course you can say, oh, but Scott, that's that's conceptual. We'll never be in in power in that realm. It's beyond our pay grade, blah, blah, blah. But now it applies to your neighbor down the street. You know, if your neighbor down the street is polluting the neighborhood, if you're if your neighbor down the street, you know, because it's not enough just to clean your own room, Bako, it's not enough. At some point, other people around you are going to affect your life in a negative way. They are going to disrespect your boundaries. They are going to disrespect your property, your people. And now as a Christian, we have to ask, what is the correct response? Now, the first response is not to resort to vengeance with your own hand. 
of course, you you know, self-defense is, is righteous. You know, if someone comes onto your property and tries to uh, rape your wife and kill you, uh, no problem. You're fully righteous in in absolutely putting lead, uh, a lead vaccine. Fully righteous. <clears throat> but to go over to your neighbor's house and and give them a lead vaccine uh, for something that is, you know, are you overstepping certain authority bounds boundaries? You know. And so, and so this kind of this kind of scale between the absolute international negotiation and diplomacy and neighborly, local, or even fa familial, patriarchal uh, and local negotiation, boundary setting, boundary keeping. Somewhere in the middle of that is tribal boundary keeping, tribal negotiation, tribal diplomacy. And for so long, all the other tribes have had diplomats, have had advocates, have had leaders who care about their interests and who make demands on their behalf, who create and protect boundaries on their behalf. We don't have that as, as white Anglosphere um, tribeless, really, individuals. We don't have people advocating for us. We don't have advocacy organizations. We don't have politicians who look out for our interests. We don't have media people who frame everything for our interests. We don't have bankers who are, are in-group pref preferring of our economic um, context. We don't have academics who are studying and researching for our best interests. We are a tribeless and disrespected people. Now we are tribeless in 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 so far as we have no tribal infrastructure. It doesn't mean we are not a tribe as a people group, our regional tribes. You know, I I, I can agree with guys who say like, oh, white me, you know, white is yeah, it doesn't mean anything. If you actually want to advocate for your people, you know, white is actually a, a, a absolute made up piece of trash term. It's like that's fine, but we're attacked as white. We definitely are attacked as white. Now I a defensive posture. Whiteness is a defensive posture. We are attacked as white, so we should defend ourselves as white. But to build, we have to build in our regional, regional tribal in-groups and make, make tribal infrastructure around our regional tribal scale. You know, so for instance, I am an Intel Anglo. Uh, the Afrikaners, one tribe, one tribe over quite a big region, uh, you know, of, of South Africa. I'd say the Afrikaners are a cohesive enough tribal group to to be big enough or, or to be strong enough as a tribal group uh, to be over multiple regions of quite a big area in, in South Africa. However, when you look at the English, the Anglos in South Africa, there is, there is absolutely no cohesion. And so you're going to have very small regional tribes. You know, the Rhodesians were, were, com were, were hugely cohesive. But but Rhodesia, there's there's a remnant there that's very small. Natal, there's some cohesion about about Natal Anglo's. The Cape, uh, maybe there's a. I was going to say the um, the urbanized Cape Anglo's are are completely cosmopolitan. Let me tell you, but the rural Cape Anglo's uh, and the Eastern Cape Anglo's. A distinct, a distinct people group. They are dis, uh, they are a distinct regional tribe, 
And then you could maybe argue that, you know, well, all South African Anglos um, can be cohesive enough and, and maybe they have to, you know, but, but I think there would, there would have to be a distinct, where are we starting point? And so it is in, in America, like all the Dixie guys, the Southern um, Anglos, they have a very distinct people group. And, and even within there, you know, again, it's strong enough, cohesive enough to, to be over many regions, but there will be regional tribes, um, you know, Midwest, New England, Pacific guys, um, the desert guys, whatever, you know, there's all these distinct tribal regions that to build for the future, you're going to have to really go, okay, where is my regional area? What is my regional tribal culture? And you build that way, right? But you have to understand, regardless of your tribe, you're being attacked on a, on a macro level as white. And so you, you, you have to understand that we defend ourselves as white, but we build as whatever our regional tribe is. And it's only by building tribal uh, institutions, tribal cohesiveness, tribal advocacy, uh, influence, tribal staying power uh, to weather uh, uh, institutional targeting. It's only once you've done that, that you can then start confederating those tribes and building a Christian nation. You know, you can, you can see how a bunch of adjacent tribes would be able to say, hey, we like you guys. Uh, you know, we'd be... We, we wouldn't live exactly how you live. Uh, we'd be okay with some kind of cultural cross-pollination as far as, you know, if your daughters marry our sons or, or uh, our daughters marry your sons. Um, but there's there's definitely a, a our place here, your place there. But together, let's, let's, let's have some national interests. You know, we've got trade interests together. We've got uh, political interests together. Uh, we can confederate to protect ourselves from not just institutional attacks, but national scale attacks. That was these United States, sovereign states with regional peculiarities, regional tribal cohesiveness that said, we will confederate, we will unionize uh, to protect our national interests from, from national attacks. And that's where, like, all these people, when 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 this that milk toast Ohio uh, gop guy was saying, like, we will protect our American culture and our American, you know, whatever. And people are like, what is American? We're all American, and it's like, American was the was the national moniker, the national flag, the national uh, collection collection point, confederate confederation point for regional tribes. And so you could say, yeah, you know, I'm American, uh, but I'm, I'm more than that. I am a Virginian or, you know, name your regional peculiarity, your tribe. It's all very interesting. <clears throat> and so, all right, I'll get to the comments. Thank you, gentlemen. Um, and so all of this being said, we are now in a tribal bargaining. We are in a tribal resource war, right? We're in economic zone with multiple different hostile tribes where the loser loses all. You, you just have to go after one group uh, to get all the resources, to get all the goodies. And that one group are the whites. Regardless of where they are regionally and tribally, they are attacked as whites. And so we need tribal leaders. We need tribal leaders who will build tribal institutions 
to advocate for our interests, to negotiate, right? To set boundaries against abusive uh, tribes, to set boundaries against abusive people groups who are not respecting our property, who are not respecting our way of life, who are not respecting our people, who are not respecting our faith, um, who are not respecting our interests. And so the, the first scream that will come up when we start having negotiations, when we start having leaders who say, no, uh, we will not um, have you in our communities. We will not have you in our institutions. Um, you're going to have this thing of like, why do you hate us? You hate us. You hateful haters. And it's like, no, no, no. I've, I've given my hatred to God. I've, I've forgiven. I forgive you. Um, but until you respect my boundaries, there will be no embrace um, of your people. Until you respect my people, until you honor and venerate my people, uh, we will not uh, be entering into a marriage. We will not be entering into a tribal union with your people, with your tribe. It does not suit our interests. Uh, in fact, it scares us. And we have to get to this place of figuring out how to have institutional boundaries, how to have economic boundaries, how to have social boundaries, how to have faith boundaries. You know, and and so many uh, Christians would have an uproar at this. And it's like, chaps, we cannot run the tribe through the church. The church is not the tribe. The church is to sanctify the tribe. For instance, you're going to have a bunch of Zulus. That's a tribe. You're going to have a bunch of Afrikaners. That's a tribe. You're going to have a bunch of Indians. That's a tribe. You're going to have a bunch of English. That's a tribe. They're not all going to go to church together. They're all going to have their own churches, their own pastors who sanctify their tribe. That's not a sin. In fact, it's like, that's the way to reach that group. You don't go to the Zulus and say, right, Japs, uh, the service shall commence at 9 a.m. You shall wear a tie and dinner jacket. And we shall sing psalms from the Queen's English. And also we shall at noontime commence with tea. And do that and you shall be saved. You know, because we have we have these metrics of how other people groups um, are Christianized, are civilized, are discipled. What does it what does it look like to disciple the nations? Does it look like every nation becoming the height of of Western civilization? Does it look like every nation becoming 1980s America? Does it look like every nation becoming 1910s England? No. You know, some, some nations are simpler in their civilizational needs or civilizational desires, put it that way. Some nations don't want the responsibilities of 1910 English life. They don't want the responsibilities of 1980 American life. They're happy to, to have a much simpler civilizational load. That's okay. And so to force your English or your Anglo ideals, your Anglo ways on other people groups who don't desire it or, or want it or, or can even, are, are even able perhaps to, to carry it, uh, that's, that's in itself a problem. You know, we're, we're, we're going into colonial territory there. You know, it's that famous Jefferson quote, which they put on his memorial in Washington. The Jefferson Memorial has a whole bunch of his most famous quotes and sayings etched into marble or granite. And one of, the, one of his most famous quotes that's on, on the memorial, it says, nothing 
is more certainly written into the book of fate, that these people, talking about the blacks, that these people will be free, period. That is beautifully engraved on the Jefferson Memorial in Washington. And everyone goes and reads it and they're like, Jefferson, you were a beautiful man. Well, the actual quote didn't stop with a full stop, with a period. It said, he wrote, nothing is more certainly written in the book of fate that these people will be free. And nothing is more certainly written in the book of fate that these two people, equally free, cannot live in the same government, cannot live together within the same government. I'm, I'm paraphrasing it pretty badly there, but to that effect. He was basically saying, he's like, of course these people are, are going to be free. Of course they're going to be sovereign and, and have their own patriarchs, have their own civilization, have their own government. It just won't be with us. And that's not a thing of, of hatred. That's a, it's, it's, a, it's a thing of, here's how we want to live. Here's how they want to live. Of course, there's going to be outliers of some of our guys want to go live with them. Some of their guys want to come live with us. And if, that, if that's the case, it has to happen according to each group's own boundaries, their own. You know, it's like, I don't go to Israel and be like, how unfair that I can't become an Israeli. I don't go to Saudi Arabia and be like, how unfair that you won't let me be a Saudi. You know, I don't go to Japan and be like, oh, how unfair you Japanese bigot. I was like, no, that is, that is the demands. That is the interests that their people have set for how outsiders are to interact with their community. You can go and visit Japan. You can go and visit Saudi Arabia. You can go and visit Israel and drop your sweet cash in their economy and get some sweet curios and have some fun experiences in Tel Aviv. Um, but it's not unfair. It's not, it's not hatred that you can't go and uh, become a senator in Israel, that you can't go and become a congressman in Japan, that you can't go and become a prince in Saudi Arabia. No one cries about that. No one's like... <laughs> Bigot. No one cares. But the moment a white nation does that, uh, all hell breaks loose as if these people are uniquely the most evil people on earth to set boundaries and interests um, and expectations of outsiders and, and how they are to interact with our people. Copperstar, I will say DeSantis has been useful. So it's been hard reminding the family he isn't our guy. Exactly that, man. He's super useful. And, and it's like, Use the space that he creates. But at the end of the day, he's, he's not going to advocate for your interests. You know, he's not going to advocate for your people. Um, he, he's got his own interests. RJJ, ad hominem equals playing the man, not the ball. Thank you. It's a very useful analogy. Drongo, if they, ban, if they ban AI bots, actual human people who, them too, behave like NPCs <laughs> will be banned as well. There's no way around this Gordian knot. <laughs> Dude, that is hilarious. How do you distinguish between a bot and an NPC on Twitter.com? Elon, take this Gordian knot. Dude, that is hilarious. Very good, sir. Very good. Women's rights was a mistake. Welcome, Fencer. China number one now. 
Notice how China have no feminism or female leader. Now they're number one. I mean, it's it's plain to see. Cup of star. Scott is your typical African-American. He loves white girls. Guilty. Cup of star. Dark tongue could be unleashed if needed. Father Scott for provisional governor of Beijing. No, no. I am quite repulsed, uh, I will have you know, by the oriental uh, hygiene standards. I, uh, I like to shower every day. And yes, cleanliness is quite important to me. The wardrobe. Even the South is broken into tribes. Coastal Southerners, Deep South, Appalachians, etc. Yeah, exactly that. It's the regional distinctions. It's the regional um, tribes. Um, and and Dixie, the South, would be their national uh, confeder- confederacy. You know, that I mean, it was their national confederacy. Yeah, the Cajuns, yep. The Texans, yep. God bless Texas. machinery for a tribe it is the sanctification machinery for the tribe that's why we can we can look at israel and go okay the priests were there to sanctify the tribe the tribe was there to serve god the the tribal governance machinery was there to serve god's interests for that people group you know every people group has a god given telos a god given identity, a God-given peculiarity. God loves the nations. He doesn't want them all mixed into some weird globalized sex in the city, Hollywood culture, you know? That's why whenever you say like, what is culture? What is, what is French culture? You think of a small French village with a cafe on the street and some Frenchman smoking a cigarette while wearing a striped shirt and a hat thing um and his his girlfriend eating raw garlic on a baguette you know it's like wow distinct and beautiful would i like to be french no would i like to visit france and and experience the peculiarities yes that would be nice just not right now because unfortunately it is no longer peculiarly french Anyway, so, so the church sanctifies the tribe. The tribe the tribe is the operating system, the hardware and software for this group of people. So this, this group of people can be pagan. It can be Christian. It can worship and serve the Lord and the Lord will bless it, right? Deuteronomy 28. This is the blessings on a people group who will follow and, and obey the voice of the Lord. This people group will be blessed. This people group will be absolutely blessed. Their enemies will be scattered. Just the, the, the tribe can adopt Christianity or it can reject Christianity. And so as a, as a white tribe, you know, as a white tribal leader, you can say, I will that I will work for the interests of my people as unto the Lord. I will bless my people as unto the Lord. I will advocate for my people as unto the Lord. A pastor cannot do that. A pastor cannot, by definition, turn away the flocks. Because right now in America, everyone is your people, right? Everyone in the world is an American who just hasn't got here yet. So if you are an American pastor, who are you sanctifying? You're sanctifying the world. 
I'm going to sanctify the world. And then who gets left out? The people without a tribe, the people, the white, white boys are the last unreached people group for the gospel. The moment white boys tribalize and have legitimate tribal infrastructure, a legitimate tribal cohesion, le legitimate tribal institutions, legitimate tribal belonging and identity and purpose and meaning and feeling, then a bunch of pastors will come and be like, yeah, I am a, I'm a pastor to this tribe. I will love this tribe. I will bless and sanctify this tribe. I will disciple this people group. I will disciple this nation. And so the nation gets sanctified. The people group gets sanctified as unto the Lord. Carolina man, welcome, fine sir. It's not race that causes strife, but differences in culture. And I would say that culture is tied to race. Now, you can get um, a certain amount of people who can, can adopt a different culture. You know, so for instance, it, it can only be a small amount. You know, it can only be a small amount at a time. So for instance, if I were to have married a, a Zulu girl and gone and lived among the Zulus, I would never become Zulu. But my children will be born into a Zulu context. They will speak the language. Uh, they will adopt the customs and stuff like that. Uh, but the other group will rightly see my family as outsiders because my children are not fully Zulu, right? Their father has weird ideas about discipline. Their father has weird ideas about honor. Their father has weird ideas about customs. Their father is not fully a Zulu. So you can't trust the son to have fully absorbed the principles. Now that son, then he marries a Zulu girl. So now the grandchildren are less of an outsider. Then the grandchildren marry Zulu girls. And so, so after like three or four generations, boom, they're assimilated back into the Zulu tribe and, and race doesn't matter to that culture because the whole culture is racially assimilated. Now, if I take my lily white wife and the two of us go to Zululand and we have white babies, God, inshallah, God willing, and we, um, and we raise those white babies to speak Zulu and follow the Zulu customs, they are now twice as untrustworthy because they don't, they don't have a racial inlet. They don't have a racial uh, uh, opportunity. Then um, if they marry a white, another white family, so let's say now there's two white families who have come to Zululand uh, to integrate with the Zulus. Well, guess where we're going to be having barbecues? We're going to be having barbecues at the other white family's house. We're going to be speaking English to the other white family. You know, now we might believe we we might be absolute Zulu files, you know, because there's like Japanophiles who like go over to Japan and like wear the Japanese clothes and speak Japanese. And there's like, oh, Jap Japan. So let's say that's the case for, for me and this other white family. We love the Zulu king. We love the Zulus. We just speak Zulu. We wear Beshu. We drink what they drink. We eat what they eat. We speak how they speak. We do how they do. Our children are going to grow, are going to be friends with their children because it's like, oh, someone who looks like me. I don't look like the other Zulu children. I look like these white Zulus. You cannot deny the, the physical racial aspect of cultural trust. Now, these Zulus might see us and be like, wow, these Mlungu white boys love us so much and honor us so much. We will honor them as Zulu people within the tribe. We will honorarily give them Zuluhood, Zulu status. 
they're still going to have to, at some point, be an assimilation racially. The children will eventually marry Zulus or leave. They, you cannot continue as a unassimilated, racially unassimilated people group and still stay within the order of another culture. At, at that size of group, you know? And, and herein is the problem in America is that it wasn't just two families that came and loved, loved the Zulus and joined the Zulus. It's millions upon millions upon millions of outside, racially outsided families coming in and not assimilating, but stay, staying among their own. Now they might take the language, they might like the cultural customs and ways, but they stick within their racial groups. And so instead of becoming full-blown racially blood Zulus, which is possible through, through assimilation, through marriage assimilation, they, they stay, we stay separately. We are Anglos, but we are Zulufied Anglos. It's why you get all the different Anglo um, dialects and Anglo uh, cultures around the world is that, you know, us African Anglos, we never assimilated with the Zulus, but we were affected by them. You know, we, we have been affected. There's a great, there's a great uh, quote in the 1941 book, There Are No South Africans. It's a book about the British and the Afrikaner uh, and the Bantu from a 1941 uh, gentleman. This is really great. But in the book, he said, Many books have been written on the effect of the European upon the Bantu. You know, talking about how the Europeans have civilized the Bantus and preached to the Bantus and all of this kind of colonialized, mastered the Bantus. But few books have ever been written upon uh, of the effects upon the European by the Bantu. And he's saying about the dropping of standards, right? In South Africa, um, white people do not have the same standards of excellence or time uh, timiousness or uh, quality control because you've grown used to um, the Zulu society. You've grown used to, um, you have become Zulufied. You have become bun uh, Africanized, but not, but not genetically uh, assimilated, not racially assimilated to the culture. So race and culture are inseparable. Your race can be can be affected culturally, but it, but it will never assimilate until you racially assimilate. Uh, Carolina Maine, Carolina uh, you can have people of different races who share the same culture and can work together. Yeah, so we've just addressed that. Copper Star, respectfully disagree. Race is a deep divider, no matter if we've all been around each other. Uh, bass guitarist, culture is downstream from race. Doesn't exist independently. Yeah, you know, one of the, one of the arguments that was used against me yesterday on Twitter was uh, race is a social... Number one, He's, number one, he's calling me racist for being white, right? Not, not If some black guy had been saying stuff, they, they wouldn't be calling him racist. But because I'm white saying it, they call me racist. So, so by their own admission, they're using this social construct. So he's like, race is a social construct. It doesn't exist, blah, blah, blah. And I was like, mate, society is a racial construct. Each distinct tribal group has interests that make that group definable. The accusation race is a social construct, you're trying to say race does not matter in these cultural uh, results, you know. Any society could have created America. Any society could have created the, the, uh, the English empire. Any society could have created the Haitian hellhole. That's like, 
well, that doesn't check out. You know, Liberia has the same constitution as America. The, the, the social construct did not turn that people group and that place into another people group and another place uh, and their results. And so you, you have to then ask, well, if it wasn't the constitution, uh, it must be other contexts. And it's like, well, you took that very similar people group uh, who were a bunch of degenerate prisoners, Australia, right? Australia was a drunk prison camp of degenerate um, outcasts from England, the dregs of English society. 150 years later, and it's one of the most equivalent cultures to America. Australia is one of the most equivalent cultures to America. They didn't have the same constitution. They, di they didn't have the same context. They didn't have the same opportunities. They didn't have the same, you know, wonderful raw materials or, you know, th there's so much, con you know, because the, the argument against Liberia is like, it was the it was the poor blacks who were slaves and they didn't have the, the money and the institutions. And it's like uh, literal dregs of drunk prisoners who were dropped on a desert island. You know, it's like your, your argument is invalid. They did not make of their place um, what another people group would make of their place. And that's okay. And that's okay. We don't have to, we don't have to treat each people group um, as if we should all achieve Anglo civilization. Uh, man of law, welcome, fine sir. European history is full of this concept of local tribe, national confederacy. Yeah. I love those maps, man, of the Holy Roman Empire, of all the little German uh, counties and dukedoms and all that kind of stuff. I'm like, oh, this is my dream. <laughs> you know, it's the dream of like, you know, there's a great, there's a great um, metaphor. My ice tray. I've got one of those uh, stainless steel ice trays where you can take the divider thing out. And so it's just a tray without the dividers. And the one day I went to the Berkey to fill up the, the water in the ice tray without the dividers in it. And walking back to the fridge, the water was just, just bucketing all over the, I was like, oh man. So from now on, I always put the divider in the tray when I go and fill it up with water. Now I can hold that thing with one hand, not even look. The divider keeps the water from, from, uh, that's the little storm in the teacup is these little cubes it's the same on a national on a on a world scale you have these huge big political containers with no bound you know with no uh, small scale boundaries every problem just washes across these huge countries you know you look at america every problem that affects new york affects little small town nebraska because it's it's washing across the, the country. Sin washes across the countries. Wickedness and trouble and and but the moment you you have small nations that are suited to a regional area, to a tribal group, you know, that's why I say all the time, nationhood for every tribe and tongue. It's like putting it's like putting the ice tray barrier into the political scene. And it's like, oh, imagine New York was its own country, which it was. Imagine New York was its own sovereign country. Who cares that New York has gun pro gun legal problems? Who cares that Wall Street are a bunch of schnei banker jerks? Who cares? Uh, because their sin stays in their container. And likewise, it's you know all these people freaking out about uh, based. Um, 
Is it Oklahoma? Based Oklahoma banning abortions. It's like you wouldn't care because it's righteousness is contained in that little place. And so, you know, that's the, the dream of Europe of like, man, all these little constituencies and aristocratic fiefdoms and all that kind of stuff. If you have a righteous king, that little place is righteous. And if you have a wicked king, it's like, well, you can escape to the next county over because the wickedness only affects that little county, that little dukedom. The wardrobe. What comes first, race or culture? Are they intertwined and overlapping or separate? Yeah, these are great questions. You know, what comes first is race or culture? Um, you know, culture, race is immediately understood. It's immediately seen. It's, a, it's the base. It's the emergency level um, uh, community. You know, when there's an emergency, you go to someone who looks like you. Culture is, is the long-term unseen infrastructure that builds up around that race. You know, so Wall Street, you can't see Wall Street. Hollywood, you can't see Hollywood. You know, the United States government, you can't see. The, and of course you can see Wall Street. Of course you can see Hollywood. Of course you can see the United States government. What I'm saying is the invisible structures of culture that have grown up around this group of people who have decided to stick together in emergency and then build themselves out of emergency by using institutions to solve their problems and pursue their interests. That is culture. Culture is institutions. Bass guitarist culture is the bio-spiritual projection of a race onto their environment. Sir, that is, that is poetry. Let us alone. Salute. Just got off of an 11-hour workday. I was going to relax. Then I saw the live stream title. Cheers. Is this not relaxing? Is this not relaxing to you? Are you not relaxed? Um, yeah, and, and just on that point, bass guitarist, culture is the bio-spiritual projection of a race onto their environment. You know, it's that whole thing of why does a desert island like Australia look like it does? And why does Africa, the most abundant, most climate amazing, most, it's like, you're walking on diamonds and gold and food and water and sunshine and it's it's paradise. And why do, why has Africa never built anything close uh, to to Australia? I mean it has, uh, but not the Africans. Uh, you know Rhodesia and um, and South Africa was not was not built by the Africans and nor can they sustain it. they they were they were handed the keys to Rhodesia in 1980. Uh, they were handed the keys to South Africa in 1994. And so it's not even a, not even a creation thing uh, on a maintenance level. They cannot maintain that level of civilization. Now, similarly, uh, we ourselves um, have lost the ability to maintain our own civilizations. We have, we have been subverted or usurped from our institutions that maintain civilization in our own countries, you know, um, name, name your, your heritage white country. And so we have to rebuild those institutions, uh, for our own people. You know, that is the, that is both the white pill and the black pill. The black pill is we've lost those institutions. We've lost control of the institutions that maintain civilization of, at our scale, at our culture, the white pill is that we start building those institutions again.
we start building those institutions again that our children's children may have an inheritance of civilization. And that's why I'm not worried of, of that's why I'm not worried of like, well, where should we go? Like, should we all go to Florida? Should we all, you know, it's like Florida will buy you time, but it'll have its own unique problems. You know, wherever you are right now, you could be in freaking New York. You could be in freaking LA. I mean, I, I, I don't recommend it, but I mean, if it's your place, if it's your people, uh, start building institutions there. In some ways, the, the collapse is sooner for you guys and, and perhaps that'll work out better for you. I mean, as far as tribe building is concerned, you know, wherever you are, you build institutions for your people and your place. And you trust that it is God's blessing upon your people group because you as an institutional tribal leader, you as your family patriarch, your local patriarch, a tribal patriarch for your regional place, your people, you are bringing the blessing of the Lord onto your people group through your institutional obedience to God, through your institutional faith in God. And it's like, I believe God will bless me right here. You know, it doesn't matter how many enemies come out against me. They, they will be scattered in front of my face. Uh, but our forefathers lost that technology. You know, they stopped uh, gatekeeping their institutions for their people. They handed the institutions over to people who hate us and disrespect us and are, have grievance toward us and uh, want to punish us and condemn us and all this stuff. And it's like, no, like we will not be disrespected. We will build our own institutions. Couple star. Also, I made fun of Scott needing an Indian for Telegram. Spent 30 minutes and still couldn't get it to work. <laughs> Vindicated. I took that slur to the Lord, Copperstar, and I asked him to vindicate me, and he has. <laughs> you literally do have to look up a YouTube video on how to work Telegram. It's pretty complicated. Or maybe I'm just ADIQ and you, sir, are in good company. Uh, the wardrobe. You got to get in there, Copperstar. Have some great discussions. That's right. Um, Copperstar. I'm trying to imagine Zulu file, Scott. No, no, no. Drongo, in the beginning with Telegram, I couldn't figure out how to turn off notifications. It nearly killed my phone after joining a few chat rooms. Indians are indeed of great help. God bless them. <laughs> Scott Cuban. Cuban aside, I agree. Bass guitarist, when a minority, a race lives in a state of numerical diffidence superficially conforming to the norms of their host society. Num numerical dissidents, superficially conforming to the norms of their host society. With higher numbers, they gain numerical courage to exert their biospirit. It's exactly that, man. You know, it's the story I always tell about Lexington. You know, in uh, Kentucky, there's a huge South African community there. And uh, I refused to, to enclave. It's very easy to enclave. You only... Uh, you only socialize with your people. You only do eco economic work with your people. You build institutions for your people. It's easy. It comes naturally. Even though we are such an adjacent group uh, to the the American uh, host nation, we still have our peculiarities. You know, I still, it's like, well, why do you drive on the right side of the road? Why do you say the words this way? Why do you do it this way? It's like, no one cares. It's not your place. They do it this way. You honor, you respect, you get involved. Um and so enclavism, enclavism is incredibly uh, powerful as soon as there's a critical mass. And that critical mass doesn't have to be huge. It can be like 5%. It can be 10%. No, it can be 2%. Let's go for risky numbers here. It can be 1%.
as long as you know there's another family that speaks your language, gets your culture, you're going to enclave with them to a certain extent. Uh, it's exactly like you say there, bass guitarist. With higher numbers, they gain numerical courage to exert their bio spirit. Copper Star is the story. It's the story of Rhodesia, a land both fair and great. The wardrobe. Y'all better at least visit us in Florida sometime. Oh, we shall. Oh, we shall. My wife and I honeymooned in Florida, believe it or not. We shall have to uh, go go back and revisit, and we shall have fellowship. Well, praise God, gentlemen. It's been a fun stream. I appreciate all you guys in the comments. Um, yeah, on Telegram, uh, find the channel, because the channel's public. Uh, Courage, my lads, beer hall. Um, and then obviously you can find me on Telegram. So so send me a message on Telegram and I will add you. Uh, just say, hey, add me to the to the private group and I'll add you to the group or find me on Twitter or find me on Gab or find me on Instagram and just say, hey, please add me to the private group and I will add you to the private group. God bless you boys. Have a wonderful afternoon and we will see you all tomorrow. Praise God.